Bing Crosby sang it. He was the first one to croon this song. It was the best-selling, still is, the best-selling Christmas song of all time. And the best-selling single, period. That's mind-blowing. White Christmas. It's been covered by over 500 different artists, from Elvis to Karen Carpenter to Iggy Pop. <laughs> Lady Gaga has done a version of this. I'm sure it's lovely. It's been 79 years <laughs> since it was released, since it was first heard, 79 years, and it still gets an average of 18 million streams every December 25th. So that's how, uh, how much that song is just ingrained in our thinking and in our, our American Christmas, I guess you could call it. The first time uh, Bing Crosby sang it was on his Kraft Music Hall radio show, Christmas Day 1941, two and a half weeks after Pearl Harbor. So it was a very poignant time of, of year, and, and at that time it went on to be a favorite of soldiers overseas in World War II and subsequent wars. And in fact, Bing Crosby, when he went overseas to sing the song or to sing for the troops, he didn't like to sing White Christmas. In fact, he tried to avoid it because he felt like it would just make them sad, but if he did a set and left it out, they wouldn't let him off the stage until he sang White Christmas. They loved it so much. He tried, uh, again, to remove it from set list, but it was so demanded. But that's not the backstory of White Christmas. If you know anything about the movie and the music especially, the reason why the music gets you is it's, it's Irving Berlin. So he is the songwriter of White Christmas, and it was written by him. He, is a, he was a Jewish man who did not celebrate Christmas. How ironic Instead, every year on December 25th, he and his wife kept a different appointment. They went to visit the grave of their son who died at three weeks of age. Yeah, bringing you down. 1928, their son died. He wrote White Christmas in 1941, and yet still, while people were singing his song, he was visiting the grave of his son. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas just like the ones I used to know. It takes on a really different meaning when you know that. But regardless of the weather outside, whether it's frightful or delightful, and even in the face of sorrow and loss, what I want to say to you tonight is there remains a white Christmas for all of us, a pure and perfect white Christmas for anyone who will receive it that came by the death of another son. To me, the most poignant thing about the Christmas story is not the child in the manger, it's not the trip to Bethlehem, it's not the angel song, it's not the wise men showing up uh, probably a couple of years later, it's not all of that, that mystery that people have tried to pour into it, it's the fact that, that God became flesh to dwell among us so that he could die for us so that we could forever be with him. That is the, the reason why Christmas matters, why we even sing these things. There's always a backstory. Right? God said in Isaiah 118, come now, let us reason together. Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they're red like crimson, they will be like wool. The Lord in one sentence shuts the mouth of anybody who says, I'm just too dark, I'm too bloody, I'm too messed up, I'm no good, I really can't be saved. Oh, come, let's reason Though your sins are like scarlet, they will be white as 
snow. But let's go to the backstory. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. If you have a Bible, open up. If not, you're just going to have to trust me that I'm reading you the truth. Matthew 1, 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, you Bible students know, but let me just say, betrothal is marriage without consummation. Once a couple were betrothed, the only way to get unbetrothed was to go through a divorce. So that's how serious it was for Jewish people in the first century. A betrothal was a marriage. It's just they had not spent that first night together. The betrothal first and then the wedding later. So Mary and Joseph are betrothed. They are... uh, They are inseparable, though they have not yet come together to be husband and wife on that wedding night. Matthew begins the birth story of Jesus right here. Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together. She was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. You might not notice this if you didn't see it in the Greek. I didn't, had to look it up. But if you look at what Matthew says, he says that the birth of Jesus was as follows. He's not starting with the birth of Jesus. He's actually, in verse 18, starting with the consummation of the marriage. Well, not the consummation of the Holy Spirit and Mary that seeded Jesus into the womb to be born nine months later. Well, where do you get that? It says the birth. Well, the the word birth there is Genesis. The Genesis of Jesus Christ. It means the source Genesis in the Greek, it means a source or the origin. It's most likely then referring to the conception of Jesus, not as a concept, but the conception literally by the Holy Spirit. By the way, for those of you who like to try and date Christmas or time Christmas, and there's all kinds of debate out there. When did it happen? Some say it was during Sukkot. It was during the month of Tishri. And that's possible because the shepherds were out with their flocks at night, so it couldn't have been too cold, right? But there are others who say, well, but there's evidence to the contrary. Those who say it didn't happen on December 25th, well, it might have. In fact, there was an early church father, a guy by the name of Hippolytus. How'd you like to go through life with that name, Hippolytus? In 220 AD, 220 AD, he wrote of the genesis of Jesus. He used the same word speaking of the conception of Jesus, stating that the early church believed that the conception happened on April 2nd, 2 BC. If you add a normal gestational period in there of roughly nine months, you land between December 25th and January 2nd. So if he was, if the consummation happened, if the, you know, actually the Holy Spirit came upon Mary on April 2nd, then, hey, tomorrow could be Jesus' birthday. So happy birthday, Jesus. And if it's not, it doesn't matter because he was born into this world anyway. And it doesn't matter because he wasn't born into existence. He always did exist. Micah chapter five, verse two, his goings forth are from long ago, from days of eternity. Wrap your brain around that one. John chapter one, verse one, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God He was in the beginning with God and all things came into being through him and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. And John says, the word which was with God and was God became flesh. 
and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. Glory is of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus, who is from the ancient of days, called the ancient of days, whose goings forth are from days of eternity, was born into this world. The conception of Jesus, that moment when the word divine became human flesh in the womb, that's where Matthew begins. So Matthew 1.18 is not the night of the birth. Matthew 1.18 is the conception by the Holy Spirit of Jesus in the womb of Mary. And that's where we begin at least this part of the backstory. Luke tells us that before this, Mary had been previously visited by Gabriel. The angel Gabriel is named as Israel's primary messianic messenger. So if a message needs to be gotten to Israel, Gabriel is often specifically about Messiah. Gabriel's the angel that brings it. You can check that out in Daniel chapter nine. But Luke chapter one tells us, verse 34, Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I am a virgin? She's wondering, wait a minute, hold on. We're betrothed, but that's it. Nothing's happened here. And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. Now Mary's next conversation must have been very interesting. Joseph, perhaps he was in his shop. Maybe he was even hollowing out a stone manger for a shepherd somewhere. And Mary, she comes in. <laughs> um, Joseph, can I have a minute? Here's the thing, I'm pregnant. No, it, but it's okay, it's by the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I can imagine Joseph going, so you're pregnant and Pentecostal? <laughs> you're both? <laughs> My friends, you know all we have of the drama that played out, and these were human beings, there had to be some drama between them, there had to be some consternation, and some confusion, and some sorrow, and, and some, some upset, and all we have of this is two separate verses. Luke 1.38, that says, Mary said to the angel, behold the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And Joseph, verse 19 of Matthew chapter one, and Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. By Jewish law, Joseph had every right to have Mary stoned to death, to have her executed, if not at least publicly shamed because, hey, gotta spare his good name. Everybody's gonna be talking about Joseph. He didn't have anything to do with this. This was not his fault. But you know what? True love and righteousness always go hand in hand. Love is not love where there is not righteousness. And Joseph was a righteous man. 1 Corinthians 13.5 tells us that love does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It's not provoked. It does not take into account a wrong suffered. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. And so Joseph just decides in his own mind, in his human flesh, he says, I, you know, what she's telling me just sounds crazy. I, I'm just gonna have to cut her loose. I'm gonna have to let her go, but I'll do it quietly. I don't wanna disgrace her. Verse 20, but when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She'll bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus 
for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, this is Isaiah, behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. Now, I don't think this is quite fair. I've shared this before. Mary gets a face-to-face, in-person visit from Gabriel. Joseph gets some unnamed angel in a dream. We don't even, I mean, was it Gabriel? Could have been, but this angel that appeared to Joseph isn't named and is in a dream. Mary gets a personal visit. Joseph gets a dream. How is that fair? Why does God do things the way he does things? And by the way, this will be the first of five dreams that Joseph will have. Early on in the whole process of of the birth of Jesus and the going, you know, in Bethlehem and then the fleeing to Egypt and then the moving back to Nazareth and all of that, he'll have five dreams. He will never once have an actual visitation by Gabriel or any other angel, the angel Chuck, I don't know. No one else came to him but in a dream. What is the deal with the dream? My friends, listen to me. This is something that's taken me years to figure out. But the point here is that Joseph would have to believe. He would have to believe. This is why I believe the angel came to him in a dream, because Joseph would have to believe. What do you mean, blind faith? No, faith is not blind. Faith is not blind. Faith is not a leap. Faith isn't just jumping out there. Faith is the certainty that God's gonna do what he says he's going to do. So the message gets to Joseph. Yes, it's by a dream. He wakes up and goes, okay, mind-blowing. I didn't even take melatonin last night, and I had an amazing dream. And he would have to believe it. Why? Because it would take faith to do what God was asking Joseph to do. It couldn't be so easy as to just have someone show up and go, it's fine, you're good to go. He would need to believe. Faith builds on itself. We grow, the Bible says, from faith to faith. A little bit of faith will grow more faith. So the Lord comes to him in this way, sends an angel through a dream because it was gonna take some faith for Joseph to walk through all of this. Besides, Jesus would later say, John 20, 29, blessed are they who did not see and yet believed. Verse 24, and Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife. But note this, He kept her a virgin until, the until implies stuff. (laughs) Kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. So the righteous man accepted the righteous plan, took Mary as his wife, but, but by all rights as husband had every right to lie with her, but he didn't. He waited until Jesus was born, until. And then after that, there would be other sons and daughters. I know there are some faiths that deny that, that say, you know, that that Mary never had other children. Well, you'd have to, you're gonna have to contest that with scripture. Because the Bible says, yes, indeed, Jesus had brothers and sisters who were half-brothers by Joseph and Mary. But we just skipped the best part. Go back to verse 23 and listen to this again. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, 
which of course translated means God with us. That's Isaiah chapter seven, verse 14. We just read it on Sunday. The word virgin in the Hebrew, I know I mentioned this, but if you haven't heard this, please listen up. The word virgin is Alma in the Hebrew, Alma. It means a young woman of good reputation, and critics will point out it just means a maiden. So it's just a maiden. It doesn't necessarily mean that something miraculous, you know, they talk about the virgin birth. Maybe it was just a maiden birth. She was just young, and they tried to deny the virgin birth. I'll let you know, 1 John Long about chapter four says those who believe that Jesus Christ came in the flesh, believe in the virgin birth of Jesus, these are those who are led by the Holy Spirit. If you reject that, you're rejecting God's own word. But the critics will say, well, it just means maiden. Fair enough, it can mean maiden, but Isaiah chapter seven, verse 14 is the only time this word in the New Testament, or sorry, in the Old Testament, it's the only word in the Old Testament used exclusively for a virgin. Nine times we see the word used. Eight out of nine times, if you look at eight of the nine verses where the word virgin is used, it is unquestionably talking about a virgin. What about the ninth time? The ninth time is Isaiah seven fourteen where it's applied here to this miraculous sign. And the New Testament writers knew exactly what was being said because they translate the Hebrew word Alma into the Greek word Parthenos, which means virgin. It only means a woman who has never been with a man, period. So the Bible declares a virgin birth of Jesus. Well, I don't see how that's possible. Well, you'll have to grapple with that. You'll have to deal with God on that one. Maybe he'll give you a dream tonight. I don't know. But Mary got even more specific than that. Mary said to Gabriel back in Luke 1.34, how can this be since I am a virgin? She says it herself. And in fact, what she literally says is, how can this be since I have never known a man intimately? And there's even more to this. The prophecy, Isaiah 7, 14, that you see in Matthew 1, 23, that a virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, that's called a sign. We went over this on Sunday. It is a sign. This is supposed to be something supernatural, an eventful, extraordinary, supernatural sign, not just another birth. God doubled down on this, by the way, in another prophecy, maybe more obscure, Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 22 says, how long will you go here and there, O faithless daughter, talking about Israel, for the Lord has created a new thing in the earth. A woman will encompass a man. A woman will encompass a man? That's not a new thing. Mamas have been having baby boys their whole life, you know, for history. This is not, a a new thing is gonna happen. A woman will encompass a man. But the word man there is a mighty one. In fact, it's the same word used in Isaiah chapter nine, verse six, that says a, a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders, his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Mighty, Gabor, that's the word. A woman will encompass a mighty one. A new thing, an amazing thing. The mighty God, eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Well, the Bible teaches very clearly that the Messiah, encompassed in a virgin's womb, 
would be born a son, and he is the mighty God. So, the Christmas story did not begin in Bethlehem. It actually was proclaimed by God through Isaiah seven centuries earlier. But the backstory goes back even further than that. We're still talking about a white Christmas here. That the backstory of this goes all the way back to the very Garden of Eden itself when the Lord is cursing, remember Adam and Eve, they messed up big time in the garden. And the Lord is now cursing the devil for what he did in, in luring them and tempting them. And the Lord says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. And he shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. And Jesus did just that. He dealt a death blow to the devil and he did it by nails going through his feet, which would bruise his heels. The prophecy fulfilled. But my friends, this is called the Proto-Evangelicon. This is the first gospel. First mention of the gospel is all the way back in the Garden of Eden, and it talks about a woman having a seed which has never before happened. It's only happened once where a woman miraculously had a seed. See, men have the seed and women have the egg, and you know how that works. But in this case, Mary was found to have a seed. Her seed would deal a blow to the devil. Matthew 1.23, again, Behold, the virgin shall be with child, shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. It had to happen this way. It had to happen this way, a seed implanted in a woman by the Holy Spirit because there's no other way that we could have a white Christmas. What do you mean? One more verse for you tonight. Galatians chapter four, verse four. Galatians chapter four, verse four. If you wanna jump over there real quick or just listen up. Paul writes, when the fullness of the time came, God sent for his son, born of a woman, born under law. He makes four remarkable statements. I'm not gonna turn them into a four-point sermon. I could, I'm not going to. Four statements that he makes here, beginning with in the fullness of time. In the fullness of the time, Jesus arrived in this world at absolutely the right time. In fact, without going all into it, the Hebrew prophets, you might not know this, gave us a 60-year window in all of history that Messiah had to be on the planet and had to be killed within this 60-year window, which runs from about A.D. 10 or so up to A.D. 70. According to the Hebrew prophets, that is the only time Messiah could come into the world and die for his people. Any other time would render all Hebrew prophecy null and void. It's that specific, that narrow a time, and Jesus was born into that window, as Paul says, in the fullness of the time. And the verse says at the end of the verse that he was born under law, which is amazing because that means Jesus was born into the world as a Jew under Jewish Torah law, under the Jewish covenants, under the perfect law. The Bible calls it the perfect law. The law of the Lord is perfect. Jesus was born under that law, and nobody, but nobody, could keep that perfect law. Yet Jesus was born under that, and he is the only one who ever did keep it 
perfectly, flawlessly. What did God do with the law, by the way? Well, he didn't just sweep it under a tree skirt. (laughs) What did he do with the law? He made sure that it was completely, perfectly fulfilled in Jesus, and then he nailed it to the cross. Colossians chapter two, verse 14, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, that's the law, which was hostile to us, he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. He doesn't just say, ah, well, I'm not gonna count, but no big deal. We'll just, we'll just ignore it. No, Jesus paid for it, all of it at Calvary. But watch this. Again, in Galatians 4, 4, when the fullness of the time came, and again, it says he was born under law, Right in the middle, it says, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. God sent forth his son, born of a woman. That is the perfect fusion of the divine and the human. And it couldn't have worked any other way. No other way. Listen, you may not know this. Mary didn't need to be divine. Those who want to make Mary divine, listen, she didn't need to be divine. In fact, I'll go one further, Mary could not be divine for this to work. She had to be fully human, just a human woman. The Holy Spirit being divine comes upon her and you have this perfect fusion, fully God, fully flesh, and yet Jesus was untainted by human sin. Here's the backstory of the white Christmas. A son born of flesh by his mother, yet pumping blood not from his mother. Gestational biology 101. Babies in the womb never swap blood with the mother. Jesus' blood was his own. The blood of Mary, tainted by sin in the world, her own sin and the sin of all who come before. Sin in the world has tainted all of our blood. Only one came into the world, the perfect fusion of divine and flesh, and he had his own blood isolated from his mother, and as he is born, offers us now a white Christmas. The perfect pure blood of Jesus. Leviticus 17, 11 says, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. I've given to you, it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. It is the blood by reason of the life that makes atonement. What was Jesus' blood type? I would say it's type U for universal. His is the only blood that could universally wash away the sins of all people. First John chapter one, verse seven, if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And John also said, first John two, verse two, he himself is the propitiation for our sins. That is the complete cleansing. And not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. That is, his blood is so pure, so perfect, so right, it could save anybody who would simply receive him as Lord. So simple. Well, yeah, but I've got a bad backstory myself. I've got a dirty descendancy. I've got a polluted past. I've got a tainted, troubled life. Jesus has nothing for me. You have never been more wrong in your life if that's your thinking. The perfect, pure blood of Jesus is for anyone who simply says, 
Jesus, I need you. It is so easy to come to the Lord. The biggest barrier between us and the Lord, and I know this personally, is our own human pride, our own arrogance. And it is arrogant to say, I'm too sinful for him to save me. And it is arrogant to say, I'm good enough. I don't need him to save me. Both are pride, my friends. It is only the blood of Jesus that offers you this very night a white Christmas. Yes, there's sorrow in the song. Knowing about Irving Berlin and his wife and their loss, there is a a deep sorrow in the song for them, but we celebrate not just the birth of the son, not just the life of the son, not even only the death of the son, but we now celebrate the life after death of the son of God who came that we might be free. Jesus is our white Christmas. So all I want to say to you tonight for all of that is simply this. Don't go home dreaming of a white Christmas. Receive Jesus tonight and you can be made pure. Let's pray together. Father, your word tells us, though our sins be as scarlet, they will be white as snow. Lord Jesus, the profound nature of your coming into the world is not lost on us tonight. The wonder of the life you lived, the miracles, the healings, the raisings from the dead, the way that you single-handedly changed even the scope of time is truly remarkable. But most remarkable of all, Lord Jesus, is in your resurrection, you made a way for us to also resurrect from the dead, live forever because of your perfect and pure spotless blood. And we thank you for that tonight. No gift anybody's gonna receive could be greater. The gift of eternity. And and Lord, we know it's out before us right now. I pray no one will leave this place without receiving you as Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm -hmm.